class, Nurse Kylie here. Welcome back to Nursing Accelerated. I hope you enjoyed your winter break and are ready to tackle new material. I know I sure am. For this season, we are going to focus on cardiac and respiratory diseases, as well as cell growth abnormalities, i.e. cancers. This episode, we are going to focus on the basics of cardiac conduction disturbances. I really want you to have a strong grasp of the basics of this material as it serves as the foundation to more complicated cardiac disorders and nursing care. This discussion is facilitated by Chapter 26 of Brunner and Studdart's Textbook of Medical Surgical Nursing by Hinkle and Cheever. Since I try to keep these short, let's get right to it. To begin, let's go over a few key terms to ensure that we all start out on the same page. I have learned that if you can break the word down, it makes it much easier to understand. If you break down the word dysrhythmia, you get dis, meaning bad, and rhythmia, meaning rhythm. So, dysrhythmia means bad rhythm. Each dysrhythmia is named based on where the rhythm or impulse is formed. So, sinus bradycardia means that there is a slow rhythm, brady meaning slow, originating from the SA node, also known as the sinoatrial node. Now, sinus rhythm indicates a normal heart rate and rhythm. When there is a disruption in the rhythm, that is where trouble arises. With a dysrhythmia, there is either a too fast, too slow, or erratic rate, which can be life-threatening, since this indicates that the heart is not pumping efficiently. One way to think about heart rhythm is to picture ripples in a pond. If you throw a stone into the water, you create ripples that are spaced just so. That stone is the electrical impulse in the SA node, and the ripples are the heart rate. If you keep throwing stones into the same place, the ripples increase in frequency. If you are just slightly off on your throw, the stone hits the water in a different spot, causing the ripples to sometimes overlap, causing a disruption in the pattern. This is what happens in the heart. In a perfect heart, the SA node emits an electrical impulse that travels over the heart, causing it to pump. Sometimes there are factors that cause the created impulses to be released faster than normal. Running, for example, causes an increase in electrical impulses to keep up with the oxygenation and circulation demand. This is a normal response. Sometimes, however, there are factors that cause this to happen for no extrinsic reason and leaves little time for the heart to recover, also known as repolarization, before another impulse, known as depolarization, is released. Again, recovery or rest is repolarization, think R for recovery, and the impulse is known as depolarization. So you're probably thinking, how do we know what's going on? Well, that's where an electrocardiogram, or EKG, comes into play. EKGs provide us with a snapshot of the functionality of the heart's ability to conduct in a graph form. Along the horizontal axis, time and rate are measured. Along the vertical axis, amplitude or voltage is measured. Noted on the graph are waveforms, the P wave, the QRS complex, the T wave, and sometimes you'll see a U wave. Then there are segments, the PR interval, the ST segment, and the QT interval. Now, some of these terms should trigger something inside of you as being familiar. At least, I hope they do. Let's break down the waveforms first. The P wave is the impulse that starts at the SA node and goes to the atria. So, this represents atrial depolarization. The QRS complex represents ventricular depolarization. The T wave represents the resting state of the heart or the time when no electrical current is present. This happens so that the cells can become charged again, causing enough charge to elicit an impulse or heartbeat. A U wave can be present in those with hypokalemia, hypertension, or heart disease. 
This wave represents the repolarization of the Purkinje fibers and is rare to see on an EKG. Now, let's talk intervals and segments. The PR interval begins at the P wave and ends at the beginning of the QRS complex. It represents the time needed for the SA node to become stimulated, atrial depolarization and AV node conduction before ventricular depolarization to occur. The ST segment lasts from the end of the QRS complex to the beginning of the T wave and represents early ventricular repolarization. ST segments are usually analyzed to see if cardiac ischemia has occurred. The QT interval represents the total time for ventricular depolarization and repolarization to occur. It starts at the QRS complex and ends at the end of the T wave. This interval is especially important as many medications can cause prolonged QT, placing the patient at risk for a lethal ventricular arrhythmia called torsades de points. The TP interval is an isoelectric period where no electrical activity is noted and is measured from the end of the T wave to the beginning of the next P wave. The PP interval is measured from the beginning of one P to the beginning of the next and determines the atrial rate and rhythm. The RR interval is from the end of one QRS complex to the beginning of the next and measures the ventricular rate and rhythm. Whew, okay. Now that we've established a baseline understanding of heart rhythms, let's dive into the irregularities, beginning with sinus node dysrhythmias. Sinus bradycardia was mentioned earlier, and we deduced from breaking down the word that it means a slower than normal rate. This occurs when the SA node creates an impulse at a slower than normal rate. This can be caused by lower metabolic needs, like during sleep, vagal stimulation, such as when you're vomiting, medications like beta blockers, idiopathic sinus node dysfunction, increased ICP, and coronary artery disease. It is characterized by a heart rate less than 60 beats per minute and looks the same on an EKG as normal sinus rhythm, except the rate is slower. Management depends on the cause and if there are symptoms. Lower heart rates are seen in those who are in good shape, but no treatment is necessary. Those with hypothyroidism may also have a low heart rate, but may need pharmaceutical management. Sometimes, all the patient needs is a little fluid, so a saline bolus is sufficient to bring the heart rate back up. It all depends on the cause. Sinus tachycardia is the opposite of sinus bradycardia, meaning that the rate is higher than normal due to the SA node creating an impulse at a faster rate. There can be several causes including physiologic or psychological stress, medications, autonomic dysfunction, also known as postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, known as POTS, or enhanced automaticity of the SA node or inappropriate sinus tachycardia. Again, looking at an EKG, this rhythm looks the same as sinus rhythm, except that the rate is higher. Management depends on symptoms and causation. Non-invasive maneuvers, such as carotid sinus massage, gagging, bearing down, forceful sustained coughing, or applying a cold stimulus to the face, may be used, but sometimes adenosine is warranted. Sinus arrhythmia occurs when the sinus node creates an impulse at an irregular rhythm that increases with inspiration but decreases with expiration. The rate is usually 60 to 100 beats per minute and presents on an EKG as normal, but at an irregular rhythm. This is usually not treated as it does not cause any significant problems. 
atrial dysrhythmias. Sometimes an impulse is emitted from somewhere within the atria. When this occurs, premature atrial complexes, or PACs, atrial fibrillation, or atrial flutter occurs. A PAC is a single complex shown on EKG that occurs when an atrial impulse occurs before the next normal SA node impulse. These are normal in healthy hearts and can be caused by nicotine, caffeine, anxiety, hypokalemia, or pregnancy. They are often seen with sinus tachycardia, and you might hear a patient say, my heart skipped a beat. Since PACs are not frequent, treatment is often not needed. Atrial fibrillation, on the other hand, does require intervention. This is the most common sustained dysrhythmia in the United States. It occurs due to an abnormal impulse generated by damaged atrial tissue. Damage can be caused by many factors, which is why this is a common abnormality. Characteristically, the atrial beats per minute range from 300 to 600, whereas the ventricular rate is beating at a rate of 120 to 200. AFib increases the risk of heart failure, cardiac tissue death, and thrombus formation due to ineffective perfusion. The high rate and stress placed on the heart can cause the valves to wear out, causing dysfunction and requiring replacement. There are several medications used for pharmacologic management, including libetalol or other beta blockers, lidocaine, amiodarone, and detalizem. Sometimes cardioversion is required to stop the heart so that it can resume a normal rate or at least that is the hope. This procedure is warranted when the patient is experiencing symptoms that cause them to be in a critical or potentially critical state. Moving on, atrial flutter occurs due to a conduction defect in the atrium, which causes a rapid, regular atrial impulse of 240 to 400 beats per minute. The atrial rate is greater than what the AV node can conduct, so not every rapid impulse gets sent to the ventricles, which causes a block at the AV node, now, this is a good thing so that the ventricles are saved from the extra workload caused by the rapid impulses and does not create the risk of ventricular fibrillation, unlike the risk that occurs with atrial fibrillation, where the impulses do cross to the ventricles. Ventricular dysrhythmias. These dysrhythmias occur when a point in the ventricles emits an impulse. These include PVCs, VT, ventricular fibrillation, and idioventricular rhythms. As a note, the absence of a ventricular rhythm is known as ventricular asystole. PVCs start in the ventricle and are conducted through the ventricles before the next normal sinus rhythm. Think of them as a beat that only goes through the ventricles, and then a normal beat occurs that goes through both the atria and ventricles. PVCs occur in healthy and diseased hearts, as they can be caused by dietary factors such as increased intake of nicotine, caffeine, or alcohol intake, or can be caused by increased cardiac workload, digitalis toxicity, or electrolyte imbalances. Management of PVCs is aimed at the cause. Ventricular tachycardia is defined as three or more PVCs in a row occurring at a rate faster than 100 beats per minute. Causes are like the cause of PVCs. VT is lethal to those who suffer from large MIs and lower ejection fractions. It is an emergency because the patient is almost always unresponsive and pulseless. Management depends on the rhythm and what is seen on an EKG. Medication, cardiac pacing, and defibrillation may be necessary. Ventricular fibrillation is the most common rhythm associated with cardiac arrest. On an EKG, it shows as a rapid, disorganized, and irregular rhythm. No atrial activity is seen. Early defibrillation is critical to survival. Lastly, 
Idioventricular rhythm, also called ventricular escape rhythm, occurs when an impulse is emitted from below the AV node. With this dysrhythmia, the patient often loses consciousness as cardiac output is decreased. Interventions include identifying the main cause, administering medications to stimulate heart activity, and pacing. So I'm going to stop us here as this is a lot of information to digest. As we work through this information, keep in mind the basics and really think about what you can do as a nurse during these times of abnormal rhythms. Why is this happening? What is the priority action? What do I need to properly care for this patient? These are the questions that will help guide you as you use the nursing process to care for complex cardiac patients. Always go back to the basics and you will find the answer or at least an appropriate pathway to follow. Until next time, keep on accelerating. Thank you.